You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. Today I have the pleasure of hosting Jessamine Putnam, a funeral director at Putnam Funeral Homes in Kingsland, Texas. Jessamine and I have a funny history in that we've both worked for the government in our previous lives, and decades later find ourselves chatting about some very important topics. Welcome, Jessamine. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Great. And we, I'm excited that you're here. Um, now, I really wanted to talk to you because I believe that your role is so very important in people's lives. And I think people take it for granted because they don't want to think about death and, you know, what you have to do at the end of life. And it's a very sensitive time and grieving, grieving families need proper guidance during this tough time. So do you mind first just describing what you do as a funeral director and how you find it to be important in people's lives? Absolutely. And thank you again. One of the things I wanted to say is going into this is, you know, I absolutely didn't expect to to be in the role of a funeral director. You and I both worked for the government, and then I've also worked for corporate world, and here I am. But I think some of the characteristics that have remained consistent throughout all of this is the fact that I ha- I'm very good and enjoy mentoring, educating, helping, problem solving, and planning. And what you just said, guidance, that absolutely hits the nail on the head for what a funeral director does and what and the role a funeral home plays, is we are essentially guides. And we, we will guide you in the beginning before, in terms of pre-planning, and we will guide you in your time of need when a loved one has passed. Being a guide encompasses so much more than what people understand. They not necessarily understand, but think about, because there's paperwork to process for death certificates, there's obituaries to write, you have to get permits for burial, permits for cremation. There's so much behind the scenes work. So we take care of all of that so that you don't have to. We help guide you to help make meaning out of a very emotional event. And that's actually perfect segue into my next question is what do you think the hardest part for families is when you meet them as you know as a funeral director do you think it's just their intense sadness and grief and they just can't think about anything else do you think they haven't thought through uh what funeral planning is and they look at the bill and they're like oh my god (laughs) how are we going to deal with this financially what do you think are the hardest things that families deal with well first and foremost is there is no one-size-fits-all approach And so I can't just hit the nail on the head and say it's this, because every situation is unique for a family. It all depends on, first of all, what kind of death was it? Did a parent Mm -hmm. lose a child? Or what did the child lose the parent? Was it a um, accident or was it a very, did you know that the death was coming for a long period of time? Had someone pre-planned or maybe they hadn't, Were they financially secure or were they not financially secure? So it runs the entire gamut. And when we talk about emotion as well, one of the things that we find is it's not always sadness. It's oftentimes anger. 
So there are the the five stages of grief and that's part of it. And that is oftentimes what we handle too. And families don't necessarily think about that. The other complication too is are all the, if there are multiple family members or multiple next of kin, are they on board with the decision? So there can be so many complicating factors that it's really hard to say what is the worst. Some people didn't have a close relationship and so, or maybe they're just an executor. And so maybe it is a financial decision, but I guess probably the worst is when it's both. The worst is when it is emotional, extreme emotion, whether it's sadness or anger or or depression and financial. For me, this was such an important subject because, you know, I've had both in my life. My parents died from an accident very suddenly. And then my brother had a slow death from cancer. And so when my parents passed, they never had these discussions with us. You know, they, they left, they left in such a you know, quick and horrible way. And then I was just stunned and floored and in shock really when it happened. So when the time came, the family, the families took over, you know, we had no say in what was happening, basically just the machine started rolling. And I was kind of like, well, you know, here I am, and I'm just not feeling up to this task right now of fighting with anybody about what needs to be done. So I just kind of let it happen. And I, I, in a way, I regret it. I wish we'd had that discussion. So I use that knowledge in, you know, working with my brother, trying to gently and sensitively figure out what he wanted in the end, since the end was approaching. And um, it was just so much more peaceful <laughs> that way, yeah. you know, to actually know what his wishes were. And and it was actually, it wasn't me that discussed it. It was a close family friend that, you know, did it in a very inconspicuous, very stealthy way. And, um, you know, we followed his plans to a T and it felt so, so nice. It felt lovely to be able to do that for him. So, you know, this stuff is really important to me and it actually leads to my next question. And that, you know, would you recommend the pre-planning of end of life wishes and, um, you know, what needs to be thought of? How do you do that? I, I believe there's something called an end-of-life plan. Um, but if you could kind of go into the details about that. Absolutely. And I, you've actually said everything that needs to be said and with your example, that you didn't feel capable of handling or having a strong say in what happened with your parents, and you regret that. And so the route you took with your brother when you were more proactive was more peaceful. And so absolutely, 100%, we recommend pre-planning for one of the very reasons you just described. What's interesting about this, too, is the National Funeral Directors Association states that almost 63% of us know that it's important to pre-plan, but only a little over 20% of us do. Wow, that's so, such a long Yeah, there's a huge gap. And so how do you bridge the gap? And it's, it's difficult because we're talking about death. And who wants to talk about death? Who wants to have that sense of mortality? When right. I recently purchased life insurance, and I, it was scary. <laughs> I'm a funeral director. <laughs> I deal with death all the time. But I felt like I was taking a risk and putting a, a time limit or gambling with my life. And I really had to take a deep breath and realize I'm not. That's just a story in my head. We're all going to live. We're all going to die. And what we're doing to plan for it is 
it, well, it, it isn't going to make it happen. And in fact, it's only going to be helpful. Pre-planning is a gift to those you leave behind. And the right. other part of that is, why wouldn't you rather control a situation when you have the ability to control it instead of having the situation control you? And that's true through any situation you face on a daily basis. Absolutely. And so taking death, death is super emotional and death is never easy. But if you take the steps to lay out a plan in advance, then you are leaving the best gift you can for those, for your loved ones, because then they don't have to, like what you struggle to do with your parents. It's such an emotional time. You're in shock. And now you have to put something together and you have to try to figure out what they want, what do I want? And, and it's so difficult. So I also, if you have a second, an opportunity to let me, let me talk about some of the legal issues. Yes, please. Perfect. Yeah. So of course, I, the caveat is I am in Texas. So some of the laws vary state by state. One of the things that is important is if you're choosing burial or cremation. In the state of Texas, cremation is very legalistic. And because Texas does not believe that you can extract DNA from cremated remains. So you have hmm. to go through a lot more steps in order to choose cremation. And people don't realize that. What it also means is that if you have not left written authorization and written authorization trumps everything, you mm -hmm. can sign a document, you can write a letter, have it notarized, you can put it in your will. The format is not what's important. What's important is that it is written and you have signed it. If you haven't done that, and your next of kin happen to be three children, one of whom is estranged or they don't get along, they all have to agree on cremation. If oh, they wow. do not all agree on cremation, then you're going to be buried. Now, it's not, if you want to be buried, that's not so much, there. it isn't as legalistic, and so you don't have to jump through all those hoops. So if only, if your next of kin, two want burial and one want cremation, it doesn't, they don't all have to agree on burial, but they do with cremation. And so if you leave written instructions, then you can circumvent and avoid all of that infighting. I mean, if you plan properly, you can avoid a lot of hoops, generally speaking, and it sounds like it's the same when it comes to burials, memorials, um, and there's just so much to think of. And it seems like the right time to do that is as you're updating your will. I just re finished redoing all my documents because my brother's not with us anymore. So mm -hmm. I had to redo my advanced medical directive. I just, you know, for the first time, actually, because we were talking about this, I decided to do my end of life plan because... You know, I mean, nobody's going to know what to do with right. me now, sadly, you know, but um, and returning. So I had to change all those, you know, the powers over to someone else. It's my brother, who was my only next of kin, is no longer with us. So so really, do you think the proper time to do all this paperwork is when you're updating your will? Or what do you think in terms of all that? I think that is an absolutely appropriate time. And there are some attorneys who will present what we call power of disposition or agent of disposition documents to their clients. Now, not every attorney does. Sometimes you have to ask for that. And what that allows you to do is everything that we've talked about. It, you can put written instructions. You can appoint the person who, after you die, is going to have the power to make any other decisions that you didn't notate in your written instructions. And that's important because of something else you mentioned, the power of attorney. Most people don't realize that a power of attorney expires upon death. 
So we have worked with several families who came in saying, okay, I'm the power of attorney. Yes, they've got three children, but I'm the one making the arrangements. Or there's a child who says, well, I'm the only one you have to talk to. I hold power of attorney. The problem is their parent died and that power of attorney expired. And so now all three of those children had to make those decisions together. Absolutely, when you're in with the attorney and doing it. Now, that being said, you don't have to wait to when you're doing your will or estate planning. That's a perfect time to do it. But sometimes people don't even really do their will or estate planning. You can do it at any time. So my son, because one of my children, you know, we're a funeral home owners and funeral home family. He has already picked out his casket. What he's, wow. he's not even 10 years old. So some people oh might God. think this is a little creepy, but <laughs> it, it's part of life. And he already has an idea of what he wants done with him. And I hope to God that nothing ever happens to my child. But if something does happen, I know I can honor him because he's already told me how to do it. Um, before I joined the Foreign Service as well, that was one of the things that I did before I traveled overseas. So I was in my 20s and I put everything together and I had my end of life plan. My parents knew I wanted cremation. There's no age limit to deciding this and absolutely a good time is when you're updating your will. But you can go and download the documents for free online or, or just like I said, type something up and have a plan at any point in your life. And that goes, that can be as detailed as you want it. Like, who do you want to speak at your memorial? And um, where do you want to have a service if you want to have a service? And, Absolutely. Um, there are so many involved in funeral planning. It's crazy, really, when you think about it. Um, from programs to plots to, you know, the scattering of ashes, which we did with my brother in the Pacific Ocean. It was beautiful. Oh. He had his memorial service in Connecticut at his boarding school. So, you know, there was a lot of cross, cross coastal <laughs> planning involved with that because we're East Coasters and he, you know, he left his, the school he went. So I thought that was very appropriate. Yeah. It's just one of those things where people I think are going to have a hard time getting to the subject, but I think once they start, then it'll be a lot easier to get it to roll and, the ideas will come out of who are important players in funeral planning and in a memorial service. And uh, do you see a lot of families that come across, you know, they, the end of life, they didn't really discuss it. And then they, you know, they see all the costs involved with funeral planning and they just kind of, you know, they're floored. They don't, they didn't prepay. They didn't save, you know, can you talk about the different costs and, and how that works? Absolutely, because that is one of the first things that typically comes up in a conversation is cost. And I want to start this thinking, asking people to think about when you bought a house or bought a car or planned a wedding, did you pre-plan or were you spur of the moment? Did you, did you buy the cheapest thing you could buy or did you look and find what services and values were provided for the money that was spent and base the decisions on that? Because funerals are no different. Funerals are an event, they are a way to create meaning, and they are not necessarily cheap. So you can go, and these days you can go online and you can find a cheap cremation, or you can go to a funeral home that has more value-added services, and you can find huge cost differences between funeral homes. And so this is another reason why it's important to pre-plan, because 
you need to find out and understand what is important to you. Do you, if you, for example, if you're choosing cremation, do you want to go to a cremation mill that cremates thousands of people a year that ships your loved one back in the U.S. mail or and won't help you with getting obtaining death certificates or writing obituaries or any of the paperwork that's involved? Or would you prefer to go to a funeral home that is more expensive but maybe has their own crematory, maybe does 100 cremations a year because they only cremate their own client families, returns your loved one back to you with in an honorable way with some pomp and circumstance and is there to provide you anything you need if it's um, event planning if it's death certificates they will take care of all of that for you so that you don't have to so there's a huge range and then let's talk about burial so people mm -hmm. have the mistaken belief that cremation is cheap that is something that um, grew up out of the fact when cremation first became available that there weren't a lot of people choosing cremation and so mm -hmm. funeral homes were keeping it inexpensive to as kind of a loss leader to draw people in. But now cremation is at the 50% mark in the United States. For us, it's about 70% of our business in parts of Louisiana. It hasn't even gone past 10. So it, it's highly variable. But at the end of the day, funeral homes wind up taxing their burial customers if they have if they sell cheaper cremations because they're losing money on those cremations. And so people expect burial to be expensive. And so they upcharge on caskets or they, they, they can't upcharge on services. Not everybody does this, uh, but that is something that you have to look for. So you have to be leery if you go to a place that sells really cheap cremations, if you're going to choose burial. And, and it's, it can be so overwhelming. This is not the time when somebody passes. To, you don't want to wait till your car dies to buy a car. You don't want to wait till the day you're going to get married to go and, and put all, throw all of this together because it's not going to provide you with what you really need or looking for ultimately. So um, it, there, there's a lot to consider. Price is variable. Um, oftentimes you do get what you pay for. And unfortunately, we've had a lot of people call us when they have gone with a less expensive operation saying, well, can you help us with death certificates? Can you help us with that? And we're not all, since we're not the funeral home that, that started the process for them, we can't always help them and we feel sad right. for them. So go and talk. You can ask for price lists. If you ask for packages, if you get package price lists, those are comparing apples to oranges between funeral homes. Some mm -hmm. funeral homes will charge to um, pick up a loved one over 20 miles, they'll ch increase charges if your loved one weighs is, is heavier. Um, huh. So you'll have this great package price or this great intro price. And you're like, oh, this is phenomenal. And then mm -hmm. the next thing you know, at the time of, of the death, you wind up paying more because you didn't account for weight or travel or maybe an urn or something. And so you, you have to not just take the first price. So if somebody hits you with a big sticker price, you take it, you're, you might be in shock, but then take a step back and figure out what all that package is offering versus what this other one isn't. And the best way to do that also is going into the funeral home. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that's so incredibly important is the relationship or the sense of trust that you have. If you go and talk with a funeral home director and they are not able to satisfy you when you are not in an emotional state then it's not going to get any better. 
and you should not use them. So sometimes it's not necessarily the cost that you should be looking at. In fact, that's what we say most of the time. It's not. Most of the time it's, do you feel like this is the person that you would want to use when you are in an emotionally vulnerable state? That makes total sense because it really is, it's such a personal thing to talk about end of life wishes. And it's also very cultural and respecting different people's religions and beliefs. And not everyone has that sensitivity, you know? Absolutely. So do you think it's wise for people to, when they're planning to set aside funds or what do you think is the best uh, method towards making sure everything's covered? You know? So there are several different approaches to this. And this is a great question, by the way. I just kind of jumped in with the answer because I love this question. There are <laughs> different ways of doing this. Like I said, you can pre-plan. That is, does not mean pre-plan pain. It just means writing your wishes down on a piece of paper. You can also choose to go ahead and prepay for your funeral. And what that means by doing that is you're locking in the cost. So the cost won't increase. Um, what you've paid in is it's covered. And that can take a lot of stress off of people. But that's not the only way of doing it. You can also buy life insurance. Now, if you have term and you die after the life insurance expires, then it, that doesn't do you any good. Um, if you have whole life, you have to have it paid off or else it's not going to do you any good. So it's not, it might take longer and you might have to find other things if your life, if your, say your term life insurance has expired. But life insurance is great. You can also go to a financial advisor and you can discuss investments and you can set aside accounts to manage end of life planning as well. What a lot of people don't realize is that there's so much more that goes into a funeral than, say, just paying for a cremation or burial. You have, again, you're the perfect example for this. You scheduled events on two, you were working on two different coasts. And so you had to look at people flying, you had to look at hotels, you had to look at uh, location costs, perhaps catering costs. And so it's goes so a funeral is so much more than just paying for cremation. So if all you're doing on your prepaid funeral contract is just taking care of the, the burial, um, perhaps a graveside service, something like that, or a cremation, then you're missing all the rest of that. If you have life insurance, you can cover all of those extra parts, but then maybe your life insurance expires or maybe you don't finish paying it off. You have an investment account or a savings account, then you still have, you have the flexibility, but you're not locking with life insurance and the investment, you're not locking in the funeral costs. So it really is about what monies do you have available at the time? What your goal is? Do you want to have an umbrella account for things that people, incidental expenses people might not have planned for? Or do you want, do you feel confident paying for the major part and then letting your family members take care of the rest? Right. So, um, Again, it's not an easy answer. The beauty of it is there's lots of options, but then the overwhelming aspect of it is there's lots of options, which again <laughs> is why you go and you talk to somebody about this in advance so that you can makes, work through what is best for your family. That makes complete sense. And I think, again, I think the biggest hurdle is just dealing with the fact of death, that it exists. Yes. And we all will face it. And it's it's just one of the things that we all have in common, really, is that we are all, you know, not long for this earth. And just can you make it easy for your family and your loved ones? You know, and this is one way of doing that, taking some emotional pressure and stress 
off. So I appreciate all that advice. I think it's all so useful and practical and things that people really don't think about and they really should, you know, because it's, it's, it's on the horizon. Absolutely. We have to acknowledge that. Um, and then I have just a couple interesting questions. Just, you know, I'm always curious, especially in your line of work, what's your vision of the afterlife look like if you even have one? You know? So I have to tell you that that is a bit of a tough question for me. And I've, I've struggled with answering it because even though I am a funeral director and I have worked with, I, I work with death, I haven't honestly given a lot of thought to the afterlife. I know physically what I want to do. I know I want to be cremated. I know I want to put, be put back into the earth and hopefully maybe we can, somebody can grow up, you know, mix my ashes with the dirt, grow a garden, grow a tree. But that's <laughs> just my physical sense what about my spiritual sense or my soul and I guess right. what I really think about it is first of all the afterlife is alien to me and because right. it's alien I don't feel that I, I can define it and I don't really want to define it and I'm actually really good with the fact that it's a it's indescribable or undefinable to me my hope is that just as with my physical body, my soul and my spiritual being can go back and feed, give back to others. So some people might want to reconnect with family. I would love to see family, but I'm a giver. You kind of have to be in this industry. And so I just hope that I am able to be a part of something greater, be a part of the continued spiritual growth, soul growth um, of, of the universe that makes sense. I think that's a great answer. It makes total sense to me. I mean, I completely have those same curiosities and I wonder if we're karmically recycled or if we're just floating out there. I have no idea, but sometimes I wonder if my dogs, re- it was my mom reincarnated. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, just like her. So I kind of <laughs> and my, my first dog was my dad. So kind of, you know, I don't know if the family stays with you or not. It kind of feels like they do. And that's what's the most important thing. And that's, again, what we as funeral directors do is we try to guide you and help you make meaning out of an emotional event. And if you find comfort in certain beliefs or practices or even, I I mean, I've even attached, um, I I love what you said about your your parents and your dogs, because I've even done that too, because it's comforting. It's comforting. And that's what we do is we find things and ideas and beliefs that bring us comfort and there's no, no, my way isn't going to be the same as your way, but it, it doesn't, and there's no right way or wrong way. Right. We need to that find something sense. that brings us comfort and hope. Absolutely. And then, you know, in that line of questioning, actually, um, so far in your life, what is, what do you think is the most important piece of wisdom you've learned thus far that you could share with our listeners? There's two things I would like to share. Okay. The first one is that death isn't fair and death doesn't make sense. And yep. that in itself speak, you know, that, that speaks for itself. Um, the second thing is grief. Grief is work. Yeah. One of the things that people also don't realize is that funeral directors are grief counselors. We're not grief therapists. We're not licensed for that. But we, you, when you come to us, we are in effect counseling you. And you, while you might have already started that process with hospice or with a pastor, a lot of people haven't. And so we're one of people's first steps on their grief journey. 
And you actually, one of the better ways of going through grief and experiencing this journey is to actually allow yourself to feel it. And that means anger. That means depression. That means sadness. It means denial. And ultimately, though, what it means is acceptance. Because what you've gone through is you've lost somebody. You've experienced a major paradigm shift. The tectonic plates have moved. And when that happens, there is going to be fallout. And there's going to be adjustment. And you, you have to give yourself the grace to experience it. And don't let other people say, oh, you should be happy or you should do whatever what you need to feel is and is what you're feeling now not so much allowing it to be debilitating and, and to, to destroy take away years from your life but so it, it's helpful to find a counselor find some way of also guiding you through that but it's grief is also a lifetime of work because it's acceptance there's no such thing as closure that is that is a very bad term for anybody to use yeah you could be grieving for 20, 30, I mean, your whole life for someone. There's no timeline on these things. Absolutely. You've said it perfectly. There is no timeline and grief is work. And that's why it's called grief work. That's why what counselors and therapists do is grief work because it is work and it is a journey and it's going to be a bumpy ride. And at some point though, acceptance will come, but then you will always have your moments. And I've just found that there's so many lessons to learn along that grief journey and the key is, I think, to let people help you. You know, you just you just want to curl up in a ball and kind of hide. And there's so many people that are just loving and willing to help and give support when needed. And you just have to let them in many ways. And that's, for me, that was one of the hardest parts of this grief journey is to just allow people, to, allow people in and let them experience it with you. Because there's so many empathetic, wonderful beings out there that really do want to support. So... You know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Just put it so succinctly. Yes, absolutely. Let them in. And that is hard. And so thank you for fleshing that out. Oh. I I appreciate about this is you're answering all of all of the questions you're putting to me. Your own experiences are really the best voice for answering so many of these questions. Well, I figure I've been through the gamut of grief and loss <laughs> and I might as well share it, you know, and I'm still surviving and I'm still laughing and. I will be thriving again soon with a little bit more time. And the key is to be patient with yourself and, you know, don't rush there to find happiness again. There's no rush to, you know, don't, you don't have to feel better. Just, just be with yourself and allow that healing to happen in its own time. And I think patience is a huge key and um, everyone will get there eventually. So absolutely they will. And I would even hazard a guess and say, that this series of podcasts is part of your grief journey. And it's something amazing and wonderful you're doing for everybody, but it's also part of your grief work too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because this isn't easy and talking about death is not easy, but it does help. It is, it is important to discuss these really dire issues and you want to discuss them when you're calm and when you're, healthy and when you can make decisions with a peace of mind as opposed to panic and grief and sadness that's the worst time to make these decisions so I'm really urging people to do it when they are um, calm you know right 
Thank you so much for joining me today. I think this is a great discussion. It's super helpful. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you again for inviting me to do this because it's so important to educate and get the word out there and do exactly what you are doing. So thank you. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.